Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Charlton fans, to another episode of Brownie and Benji. It's a joyous episode today after Charlton's 6-0 win last night at Plymouth. Let me just repeat that. 6-0 win at Plymouth. I am Benji Nurek, and I'm excited, at all, as always, to be joined by former Charlton defender. More than 240 appearances for the club, two different promotions. You may have heard him last night on Valley Pass. It's Steve Brown. How are you doing today, Brownie? I'm very well, thank you, Benji. Much better after that result. Well, not much better, because we're actually firing on all cylinders. It was just a joy to watch last night, actually. Everything that could have gone right went right. And uh, I've said to people, you know, on the way home today, you know, if you'd have said, this is a scenario, we're going to come back with a clean sheet, six goals, we're going to be in the playoffs. I mean, nothing else could go, could it? You know, we've got players returning from injury on Saturday. What? I mean... Nigel's uh, Twitter, he's understandably over the moon, isn't he? He's positive anyway, but he's really positive at the moment. Everything's uh, falling into place. Yeah, fair enough. The, uh, the, the already positive Twitter messages, as you say, getting another boost of positivity, and it's well-deserved well after last night's win. So you, you, you mentioned a little bit there, but just your overall thoughts of, of what was obviously a very, very good game for Charlton. I mean, it turned into a very, very good game for Charlton. And where I think there's a couple of things I think have happened, you know, under Nigel, which which may not have happened, funny enough, uh, when Lee was in charge. And, and, and something that I noticed last night was, you know, we've not started the last two games very well at all. Not Ipswich, nor last night at, at Plymouth. We've been on the back foot a little bit. We've started quite cold. Um, and under Lee... You know, we've gone behind in those moments early in games, particularly at the Valley against the poorer sides. We've found ourselves chasing games. You know, Rochdale, uh, Swindon, Plymouth at home, you know. And, and, and what I think is nice to see is that we, we start cold. It's almost like it's taken us five, ten minutes to get the engines fired up, uh, suss out the opponents, see what happens. And within those two starts, the, op- the opposition have had opportunities, but we've not allowed them to score that goal that means we're chasing the game and I think that's a big difference you know and, and um, all the time when you're on the back foot and, um, and you're staying in the game and you're keeping that clean sheet it just needs that one opportunity that one chance to come about and suddenly we'll be very difficult to peg back uh, so that's something I spotted over the last couple of games where you know, credit to both the, the, the sides that we played against. They did start with a better tempo. They did start with formations that caught us out. And, uh, and, but credit to Charlton for sticking that little period out, not conceding and going to win, well, certainly winning last night's game, but not conceding mm-hmm. on Saturday and, and picking up the point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a, in a division like League One, and it probably just goes for football as a whole, but particularly in League One, when the margins are so tight, you have to be able to weather periods in games when you're not playing well. And you have to be able to weather periods in games when the other team is on top because Charlton just aren't that much better than all the other teams that they're going to have it all their own way in any given game. So while you don't want to be starting out like that where you're the second best and you're having to sort of get into the game, 
showing that they can get through those difficult moments is so important after, as you said, in previous weeks and in previous months where those difficult moments would inevitably lead to a goal, maybe even two goals behind, you know, those long shots that would just end up in the net, the periods of pressure where the team would get a deflection, a little slice of luck. And it does feel like things are turning a little bit. Something that, that I noticed last night, because obviously it was a good defensive uh, performance and that kind of was the foundation for the overall performance. But also I felt that there was that going forward, there was a major, a majorly less reliance on Jaden Stockley in terms of how Charlton built up their play against the Ipswich at the Valley. I think they really struggled to sort of get anything going because every ball was into Stockley. Ipswich knew what Charlton were doing and it was just a case of plugging the holes so that once Stockley got the ball he didn't have anyone to go to but last night I felt that Charlton their game was very very different in that they used the wingers they used the two fullbacks to build up play so that Stockley could get into the box and cause damage or that when the ball was played long to him it was less expected so that he could actually take it down and do stuff with it and I mean credit to Liam Miller and and Dia Young Jayasimi because they I thought probably had their best game in a Charlton shirt last night and it made a huge difference yeah well we know Liam operates much better when he's got lots of space in front of him to attack and last night for whatever reason the goals the lack of confidence once because there was a turning point last night for me personally and it was the, the injury to the Plymouth player where they changed formation I still can't understand why they did that even though they were losing one nil they were causing us issues with their formation um, and and we were still trying to find our feet in terms of who takes who when the ball's in certain positions, who was responsible for Mayer? Mayer was very good in that first 15, 20 minutes. The, the wing-back law was seeing a lot of the ball. But, you know, that put to one side, once we did get a one goal, certainly after the second goal um, and, and the second half side, there, were a lot, there seemed to be in the second 45 a lot of space for Liam Miller to run into, which we know is, you know, it favours his game. I've, I've said about Jai Simi all along, there's, there's more to come from him. He's, you know, in terms of coming to a football club, playing every week at Swindon, coming to Charlton, and for whatever reason, the last manager didn't particularly want to play him on a regular basis. That would have knocked his confidence a little bit. That would have set him back a little bit. And now he's got this, uh, you know, change of manager and, 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 and a fresh perspective for him. He's mm. now in the side. He's being allowed to express himself. He's got power. He's got pace. He can go inside and out. But everybody's still learning very much what, what he's about when he delivers. You know, you've got to get little, uh, you know, if you're centre forward, you've got to understand when he's going to chop back and when he's actually going to deliver. And that takes a little bit of time because he, there are times when I think he could deliver and he chops back and vice versa. But in the main, he's a threat. And that's all you want to see at the moment. Is he a threat out wide? Yes, he is. You know, and can we develop the other stuff? Can we get the timing? Can we get the understanding of when he's going to deliver, when he's going to chop and take the defender on again? That'll come. But his performances are improving every week. I mean, the assist, I know Stockley let it run, but that was Jaisimi's assist. It was, a, you know, and one thing I've said, you know, during commentary is he needs to tidy up. When he comes inside and he beats a fullback or he comes inside, tidy up those little passes, those give and goes, tidy up the balls where you play it sideways into a midfielder. And we're seeing signs that he's doing that as well. Mm. You know, so I thought they both played well last night. Who didn't though, Benji? It was a 6-0 <laughs> win. You know, so we've got praise here for the back four and the goalkeeper. I mean, there, there, there's a player in Amos that I think sometimes goals have gone in and you've had a little frown and you've scratched your head and gone, hmm, could he have done a little bit better with that? 
you know, so he went through a period, as has Pierce, you know, earlier on in the season where you think, oh, that's a, oh, it's another mistake. You know, I hope he comes through this. They both have. Mm. They are both flying now, you know, whether that's a confidence thing, you know, I, I don't know. You'd have to ask those guys. But in terms of somebody from the outside looking in at the presence of Amos in his box, the presence of Pierce when people are trying to enter the penalty box, they just look like they've got an attitude at the moment. No, no, get away from my goal. You're not coming in here. And they're doing not just their jobs in that respect, but they're communicating, they're talking, they're organising. And they look like two different players to me. Um, and, and that can only be uh, attributed to Nigel Atkins. So honestly, it can only be what he's doing behind the scenes, psychologically, you know, giving them belief. You know, we know he's a happy-go-lucky manager. So it seems to be rubbing off. But it, it comes with results as well. Let's not kid ourselves. It does come with results and good runs and Charlton are, are on a good run and, and, and getting good results. But those two in particular, where we've looked at them at the first half of the season, and on a couple of occasions, you scratch your head. There's none of that going on. They look imperious at the moment. Mm, yeah, no, I and I was gonna, I was actually about to mention Amos because I think sort of the the one moment, other than that opening ten minutes when Charlton, I think, were second best. There was one moment in the second half where the game could have turned. It was at two 0 when Plymouth went on the attack and Amos made a very good save, and then immediately he picked up the ball, threw it to Miller, who ran on and uh, and crossed it into the box for their, the Plymouth player to finish into his own net. I mean, it was a, it was a great accidental finish for, uh, by the Plymouth player. But yeah. that, that, that moment, the game, you know, it could have turned. If, you, if Plymouth go and make it 2-1, then suddenly you've got an entirely different game on your hands. But instead, it's 3-0. And I think Amos, as you said, he's gotten quite a lot of criticism this season. And a lot of it fair because he hasn't he's, – he's let in goals that he would say he shouldn't let in. And, I mean, even just recently thinking back to that long shot against Bristol Rovers where it seemed to go very central mm. and he kind of just lost yeah. it but suddenly he, as, as you said he looks like a different keeper he looks so confident coming for crosses he's relieving the pressure every time Charlton get it and he just looks he looks really tuned in he knows exactly what he's doing and it's making a huge difference and I I do wonder if potentially I mean last night obviously Akin Famwo came in and Ryan Innes was given a rest but for the most part over the last month or so it's been a fairly settled back five it's been Purrington on the left it's been Matthews on the right it's been Pierce starting every game and it's been Innes and now Famwo and I do wonder if that consistency has helped both Amos and Pierce get get their game back to the place that they know it can be at essentially yeah I mean that is one reason they could have you know found their form again what I would say is the two fullbacks have come in we've discussed this before about what they offer what they're you know Gunter and, and Matthews are very similar but I think Matthews probably at the moment, with the form he's in, I mean, the delivery for Stockley's goal was just out of this world. I mean, he, he took a touch out of his feet, killed the ball, stone dead, just give himself a yard to step onto the ball. But then you've got to deliver. And you've got to deliver into an area that allows you to set the forward to make his move and get in front of his player. Stockley's movement was terrific for that goal as well. You know, he took the game. And this is what I'm saying about, you know, when we, we, can, watch, we can watch 10 games in a row, back to back, and you can see a fullback cross the ball 10 times in, in, in each of those games. But to get the timing of where he's going to deliver that so that you have that little gamble, you anticipate, you get across the man and it's delivered into that area and you meet it and score. You know, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to do. And it looks so, when, it, when it's right, it looks so, so easy. But, but 
how can you fail to get on the end of that delivery? You know, putting that near post area with pace, keeper can't come, defenders stuck looking at the ball. Stockley's made his his move across his man, and once you make contact with that from that distance, keeper's got no reaction time mm. at all. But yeah, I mean the two the two fullbacks, like I said, you know, he's gone for experience and he's gone for physicality. Um, because you know, on the left side, I think we did lack physicality when mm. when Miller and, and Martin were playing there, and. Perrington's playing well. Matthews is playing out of his skin. Uh, you know, and, and quite honestly, whoever goes into centre-half at the moment next to Pierce, he's, he's playing so well that, I, I mean, he could have a wooden peg next to him and, and they'd still be all right, you know. So, <laughs> he talked the wooden peg into a good game as well. So, it's, 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 um, it's one of those things that when it comes, it looks so easy, doesn't it? Confidence, morale, mm. communication, talking when you've got it. Everyone just thinks this, you know, where was that poor performance? Where did that come from? But confidence, I've said this a hundred times, confidence you can't measure. Mm. And as quickly as it can cut, it can take quite a long time to get it and it can disappear quite quickly with a couple of mistakes and some poor results. And we should really admire the performances whilst they're all in a confident mood. And that, why mm. shouldn't they be? Ten games unbeaten, you know, they look solid. And, and, it, and, and when they do give up opportunities, Benji, and this is the important thing, they're on the angle. If you think about the Sunderland save that Amos made, it was across the goal, on the angle, low down to his left, great save. If you think about the chance last night, it was, it was, too, it was from an angle on his left-hand side. Good save, slightly higher, but at least he makes that great save. It's on the angle. It's, it's not an easy opportunity. The one you're talking about, where it was pivotal, and everybody's right to say that was a pivotal moment because it was, it changes the game dramatically. If it's suddenly 2-1 within five minutes of the restart, we've got a game on. But within 30 seconds of that, it was 3-0. And physically, when that goal went in, body language of the Plymouth players completely changed. And it's no surprise we went on to win 4-5 and 6 because they've got nothing to play for, really. They can't get in the playoffs. They can't realistically go down. Not every team below them is going to win every game. So they're realistically a League One team next year. When that, when that third goal went in, you just saw just just the body language change and we went on to comfortably dominate from that point onwards but yeah I mean that was a a big save but I, I will say this not only did he make it we had two players trying to block as well yep. and that's that's what I was trying to say last night the enthusiasm for not conceding is something that's not been there mm. there's been a couple of challenges made but not everybody around the ball has looked like they want fiercely to block that shot so we had Amos make the save. But we had two players pincering on the ball as well, trying to make blocks, you know, and that's good to see. Yeah, yeah I actually, this morning when I, when I rewatched the highlights, I had to slow it down and look really closely to see if Amos actually made the save or if Pierce got there first and blocked it because his block yeah. was right next to him. And I think, you know, together they had decided that the ball just wasn't going into the net. And as you said, it's that enthusiasm. And it, it really felt last night a performance in Nigel Atkins' image. You know, it was, it was full of that enthusiasm and excitement that he wants to see, whether it was the enthusiasm to not concede, the enthusiasm to counter. I mean, something that I was incredibly impressed by was, was the pressing from Charlton really throughout. I mean, 80th minute of the game up 5-0. You could hear Nigel Atkins on the touchline bellowing at the players to press high. And I think it was, it was just one one of those games where on the one hand every, everything goes your way you get a little bit of luck that you need you you dominate the big moments but on the other hand it's it's the kind of performance where in some ways you create your own luck by just constantly going and going and going and putting yourself in more and more positions where you can get that little bit of luck or where you can profit so it really was just such an impressive performance all around I mean I don't think there was a I don't think there was a player who didn't 
put a, an 8 out of 10 at least in, in that game. It was just so impressive. I still go back to that Matthews delivery. If, if, if someone in the Premier League from a top four club is delivering like that, they waxed Liverpool on it, uh, about it on the telly for a couple of days. It was a, a peach of a delivery and a wonderful header, well timed by Stockley. You you are right though that if uh, if Trent Alexander Arnold had put in that cross that yeah. Matthews put in, you'd be seeing Sky Sports talking about it for weeks to come. Perfectly right onto his head. But moving on from from what was obviously a massive massive win for the whole club and really should give so much excitement moving forward there's another big game coming up they're all big but Saturday will be another very big game at home against Peterborough I'm not sure if your time at Charlton you ever won a game 6-0 but coming off of such a huge huge win how how do you sort of balance you know celebrating what was what was a fairly a huge win but then also preparing for another big game coming up how do you sort of balance that in your mind yeah, I, I've, I've said this before. When when you're a player, um, it was slightly different for us because we didn't have the social media interaction. So games were talked about for a day or two. You know, they were put in a newspaper the next day. The manager then went through his bits and pieces the day after that about, you know, if, if anything hadn't gone quite right, he went through his bits. Beyond that, you're on to the next game. So there's very much a different perspective when you're looking in from where we're looking in now, the outsiders as as journalists in your case and summarising in mine, and what they feel. They wake up this morning, they're all in a much happier place because they've won, they've won emphatically, people are saying nice things about you, but you're not, you know, what Nigel's done last night in keeping the team down there, there was a regimented morning this morning where they all had a, a lot of times to have breakfast. They all had a lot of times to have their recovery stuff. They've, I think they've gone into a swimming pool session and then they're going to travel back. Well, they'll be traveling back as we speak. Um, all that sort of stuff makes huge amounts of differences. But quite honestly, the players will enjoy that game last night. They'll recover today. But by the time they get into the training ground tomorrow, you're already that game's gone it's dead alright and you might talk about it you know once or twice again you know about how great that result was but quite honestly you're on to Peterborough what this mm-hmm. team will be doing now though is is, is is looking at Peterborough going nothing to fear absolutely nothing to fear and I tried to say this last night we tend to talk about the opposition too much so we can look at the league table and go oh it's Peterborough oh they've scored 73 goals this year they've got a really good attack but hold on a minute we're 10 games unbeaten alright We've kept three clean sheets in the last four games. We're sat in the playoffs. I don't think Peterborough want to be coming down to the Valley at this point. They've just lost at home to Gillingham. Right? And people might say, oh, you might get reaction. You might get reaction, but you also might find that doubts are starting to creep in as well. Suddenly they've lost and they'll be looking over their shoulder at Sunderland going four games to go. That's 12 points. Well, that's eight possible 84. Well, we might need two more wins. So suddenly they need two more wins from four games and they're coming down to Charlton. So there might be a little bit going on in the back of their minds, actually, coming down to the valley, knowing the run that we're on, knowing how that we're playing at the moment, knowing we've got more players returning on Saturday, knowing that we've been able to rest players during that game because of, of, of how the game um, unravelled. You know, we were so far ahead by the time we got to the 60th, 60th, 5th minute. Nigel could have done what he wanted last night, could have rested whoever he wanted to. So suddenly Peterborough will be well aware of that. And mm. they'll be going through the rigmarole today, maybe tomorrow, about what just happened to us. We lost to Gillingham at home. 
And then all of a sudden they got to turn and go, oh, God, we've got Charlton away. So sometimes we worry a bit too much about what the opposition are doing and, and we don't concentrate on, we're, on what we're doing. I think the biggest thing you can sort of uh, worry about now is, is, is that the team gets a little bit ahead of itself. Don't get complacent. Don't suddenly think we've arrived. You've got the sixth spot. Make it, you know, mathematically impossible for anyone to catch you as quick as you can. Mm. Chalk those points off. But, you know, it's going to take a monumental effort again, like we saw up at Sunderland last week. It's going to take a performance like that again to topple them. But we are in a very good position to do to do that. Mm, absolutely. And I mean, even if you look at the, the first game against Peterborough, which obviously Charlton lost, but they had the lead until about the 60th minute when a pretty poor defensive mistake uh, got Peterborough back into the game. And there's really no reason for this, this Charlton team in great form coming off the back that 6-0 win. There's no reason for them to feel anything but excitement about the prospect of playing a big club and about of playing a team who are rocking at the top of the table. Because, you know, if you win that one, then suddenly the momentum's pushed just even further because not only do you have another big win, but you've got another big win against a team who's fighting for automatic promotion. So I would think that right now with the confidence that clearly the players have, with the confidence that Adkins is instilling into the players every day, I would think they're they're almost excited relishing the prospect to play one of the better teams in the league in the league get a chance to show off how good they are actually are and I think that they'll uh I mean I would hope at least that's the attitude heading into what is I mean they're all big games now but another big game coming up um, yeah I, I think if you if you're not going into this game with an air of confidence then something's not right with you as an individual because you just can't do anymore look I'm just looking now one two three four five six wins and four draws so there's no reason you should be going into this game going, oh, it's Peterborough, oh dear, you know, we need to win. You should be going in going, you know, yes, they're a good side. Yes, they're in second spot. But we, we as far as I can remember, Benji, both goals were a bit sketchy up at, up at, at Peterborough. There was something down in that right-hand corner, if I remember, a challenge we yeah. missed or we gave the ball he, away and they broke it. He slipped as he was passing it backwards right. and broke for that. Right. And we held the lead there. You know, and that was when we were in a period where we weren't so confident, when, when we didn't have everybody available. You know, and, and people might go, well, our home form. Yeah, but we're a different side now. We're a different side now at home than we were two months ago. But yeah, like you said, there's, there's some tough old fixtures coming up. This is a this tough one. But I always say when someone says, oh, it's a tough fixture, it's Peter Reddick's second. Tougher than Sunderland, who hadn't lost at home since the 19th of January, 14 games unbeaten. That was pretty tough. We come out of that one all right. And You know, so... Yeah, we've got to stop making excuses as why we won't win and start talking about, actually, this side needs to be on the front foot. What it needs to stop doing is starting poorly. That's what it needs to stop doing straight away. Mm. You know, don't give Peterborough a leg up in that first 10 or 15 minutes. Don't start poorly. Don't start on the back foot. Can we try and start on the front foot? However you, however you manufacture that, you might have to go long, uh, you know, for the first five minutes or so and try and play your opponents off. However you manufacture a bit of a brighter start with a bit more tempo, putting them on the back foot, can we try that Saturday? Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it eventually if you keep having poor starts, one's going to lead you to be behind again. And you don't want to be chasing, you know, teams like Peterborough who probably, once they get in front, have got the pace and, the fire and expertise, certainly in the front areas, to, to extend their lead. But yeah, I mean, you look at those, those fixes, crew at home, that's got to be three points, doesn't it? Accrington away, who we know were a good side down at the Valley earlier in the season. I think they got the plaudits for a very good performance, but they're in indifferent form. Mm. You know, we are, we are now top of the away form league. So no fear there. Lincoln at home, 
tough one. Hull away. Hopefully they've got the title wrapped up and they've had a few drinks and we steamroller them. But <laughs> we'll see, Benji. It's all going to unfold, isn't it, in the next couple of weeks? So. It certainly is. And as, as you said, you know, tough, tough game, Peterborough. But if, if, if Charlton fans or if Charlton players, if anyone at the club is looking at that going, this is a difficult game, can guarantee you that Peterborough are looking at it and going, this is a difficult game. Yeah. So there's no reason to come into that with any sort of fear, especially, I mean, something that struck me about the performance against Plymouth last night was that it wasn't, you know, sometimes you have big wins where it's pushed by a player scoring four goals, you know, having the best game of their lives and they, they, they push you over the, over the edge and you have a brilliant performance because of, of, a couple of players, but last night was such a complete team performance. Five different scorers, multiple other players assisting. Obviously, the defense played well. And after that first ten minutes, as you said, after that slow start, it was just such a complete team performance. And it should it should leave every single player feeling an immense amounts of confidence. Which, I mean, I, I I like that. I think that's the wave of confidence that you want to have going into the the final few games of the season, the final fixtures, and then the playoffs. So I think. Peterborough should be fearing this game more than Charlton should be fearing it. At least that's the hope that I would have. Um, but obviously this, this week, while, while it will be known for Charlton's epic 6-0 win at Plymouth, it's also going to be known for something else that was happening in the wider world of football, the Super League, which I think we have to talk about a little bit just because it was yeah. obviously such a big story and will continue to be a big story. And it was, it was interesting because, I mean, I, I think as most people know by now, I'm a, I'm a Chelsea supporter. I grew up supporting Chelsea. My dad has been a Chelsea supporter since the 1970s when, when Chelsea were in the second division and, and going bankrupt. Brown is shaking his head at me, but it is the truth. But um, it, it was just such a such a disheartening few days, I guess, as a Chelsea supporter and I guess as a football fan as a whole, because it just was such a blatant showing of the ownership of these big clubs just not caring about their supporters and at least not caring about the supporters on the ground in the country. And it is, it it really was just so unfortunate to see that these people they only care about revenue. They only care about their clubs for the revenue and they don't care about anything else. They don't care about the, the sport as a whole. But at the same time, you know, we, we got to see the power of fans yet again, which is so amazing because we know it in theory. We know that fans can have this impact, but oftentimes it gets steamrolled by the people who have the money, which tends to be those in power. And this was an occasion where we got to see the fans actually standing up and doing something. But obviously I want to hear your thoughts on, on all this that's been going on. Yeah. I mean, obviously I don't follow a lot of what goes on. You know me, Benji. I don't, I don't sit here sucking in, all the news that comes out, you know, I'm not that kind of a summariser. You know, I let the journalists who are better than me at delivering news, football news, and and are more knowledgeable than me about that side of football, deliver that. But what I would say is, from the snippets I've seen, how incredibly disrespectful the whole situation was from those six clubs. No thought to the other 14 within the league whatsoever. how on earth Arsenal are in it at the moment and they're not in the top 12 in Europe for sure much better clubs you know being running a better way with better form better players better squads than Arsenal at the moment and I would argue that about Tottenham as well but that's a different argument that shouldn't even be in the argument who's in it Mm. no one should be in it and it's incredibly disrespectful of the owners 
And I think if you look at the ownership, I think something's been going on for a while. And I've said this to people, American businessmen don't get involved with anything unless there's huge amounts of profit. Everything Americans do at the high end is how many dollars can they make? And when you see more Americans coming over, taking ownership of English clubs, you're, I, I noticed this about a year, two years ago. I'm thinking, why are they all suddenly coming across? And they paid no interest in English football in its entire history, really. Maybe a, a, a toe dipping in here and a toe dipping in there. And suddenly we were getting five, six, seven billionaires taking over football clubs mm. in the Premier League. So I felt, I didn't really know what was coming, but just thought, that is odd. They don't normally get involved in things that don't make a lot of money. And then suddenly the clubs that are, have tried to break away, majority of them have American owners. Mm. So you sit there going, okay, and, and, and the model that they're selling is very much an American, American model, model, isn't it? Absolutely. Model, right. So all I'd say is that they really have miscalculated the love for English football from supporters how powerful English supporters can be when you prod them too much. Because let's be honest with you, history will tell you they've been prodded before and they haven't had this reaction and they have been steamrolled. And a game does now cost you 100 quid to go and watch if you want to take your kids. And it does cost you 30 quid on the train, 30 quid to buy uh, some food, five quid on the programme. And that's despite the ticket you want to buy. So they've been hoodwinked before. Mm. But they just didn't passionately make enough noise because you just sort of went, well, you know, it is what it is. The stadiums, well, the stadiums are all being upgraded, mm. and they've got to get their money back somehow. So you kind of you make excuses for it because you know you're still going to go. This one just couldn't be accepted at all. Not by the 14 other Premier League clubs. Not by the supporters. It was just pure and utter greed, wasn't it? Mm. Let's be brutally honest about it. Pure and utter greed. And I probably feel like it was driven by clubs who are in enormous amounts of debt, even though the club valuation would clear the debt they get themselves a bit of a pickle of how much debt they have so in that respect it, they got they got sucked in by numbers by clearing debts right we'll pay you know bank we'll pay that off you'll have this money coming in every year it's guaranteed because it's only you 12 it's the biggest miscalculation i've seen from owners in football in in, in its history i think Mm. I really do. I, I go, it's, it's just a monumentally poor decision from all the owners of the English Premier League football clubs and the European clubs. Mm. And I think they got carried away with clearing monument, monumental amounts of debt very quickly by joining this Super League. And they weren't prepared for the backlash because normally you can steamroll or any kind of mini backlash, but it was so big, it was so strong, so quickly, they've had to back down. I mean, as a PR exercise it's, it's one of the worst things i've ever witnessed actually i mean <laughs> such a quick back down you know um but yeah I, my initial thoughts benji and, and, and how i'd sum that up is just an utter lack of respect for the other clubs in the in, in the division mm. and the pyramid actually and the pyramid itself just utter disrespect for how hard it is for clubs to run these days and all you thought about was a dollar sign or a pound sign for you and your club yeah, horrible. Horrible to witness. Uh, I hope it disappears as quickly as it read its ugly head and we move on. But I, I do feel that there's a scar there that's going to take a long time to hit, you know, to, mm. to, to, to heal over because 
they've shown a card that's an ugly card, haven't they? You yeah. Know? And and it's and it's um yeah, based on on finance and not on the sport itself. And 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 there's so many clubs that could do with a financial boost. And I'm not talking about league clubs. I'm going beyond the leagues and going into non-leagues, which have filtered players through to the leagues for decades, you know, and, and they don't care. They literally have just shown they don't care. And, uh, yeah, and I'm glad it's just been batted away massively yeah. by the public. By I mean, Gary Neville, I, I don't often uh, watch clips of, of Gary and, and, and Jamie Carragher. You know, I tend to watch the match, if, if that, and then I switch off. But his delivery the other night, the passion he showed, uh, how articulate it was in, in terms of what he said, absolutely spot on. And I think that resonated with an awful amount of people across the country. And that's what started the snowball effect. And yeah. it gathered pace so, so quickly. And I'm glad it did, because there is no place for that kind of competition. Yeah, and it was... It was, as you said, such a quick backlash, which forced it down. And for me, the, the part that I guess I find really hard to accept and the part that I think is going to take a long time to, to heal is that these owners, as you said, largely American. I mean, it was driven by the owners of Liverpool, Manchester United, and Arsenal primarily, all owned, owned by Americans. And they wanted to change the center, essentially, of English football. They wanted to turn English football from a game that should be based on merit and should be based on how well run of a club you are and how many points you pick up. And they wanted to turn it into a system where, it, where how good you are and where you get to play and, how you, and which league you get to play is dependent on how much money you have which is horrible and so unfair. And you're seriously going to look me in the eyes and tell me that you think Arsenal are in a better position for the next five years than Leicester City? Leicester City yeah. has shown that they have a sustainable model that can work. Arsenal have shown that they have an unsustainable model that doesn't work. Arsenal are sliding and these clubs and their owners are trying to put in, or were trying and probably still are going to, are trying to put in a, a place, a system where the disparity between the best teams and the less than best teams is concrete and can't change. And that in itself is horrific. I want to see a system where West Ham, Leicester, a team in the championship, Charlton in League One. I want to see a system where that club, if they run well and if they bring in the right people and they do well enough, they can build themselves up and become a big team and become part of a, a big six, big eight, big 12, whatever it is. But these clubs wanted to put in place a system where their power would be cemented for eternity. And it's, it was horrible, horrible to see. And as you said, it was driven entirely by greed. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think about Leeds this season, they've just come up from the Championship. I know they've spent heavily to get out the Championship, but heavy in, in respects to other Championship clubs. In terms of Premier League spending, it's minuscule. And they're sitting in tents. And we know from, in, from, from days gone by that they've gone all the way up to the Champions League semi-final. You know, so and they've dropped down to League One. bounce back this year and they've been a breath of fresh air to watch I mean I wouldn't want to play for him I haven't got the lung capacity <laughs> to play for him I can't run 70 yards up 70 yards back for 90 minutes so he'd, he'd, I'd be no good for Bielsa but that's the sort of story you're on about we could use Leicester we could use Charlton back in the day you know up into the Premier League sustainable model you know like all clubs though that has a little bit of a shelf life when you don't have you know, uh, owners that could just keep pumping money in to make sure you get the right players. But West Ham's a lovely story. On the verge of relegation under under a, a manager that won 
the Premier League when he had oodles of money with Manchester City and we've got a British manager gone in, sorted out that mess, turned that squad around. Not only is it playing half-decent football, it's, it's sitting in fifth position. And those are the things where you just look at what's been proposed and go, you don't want that. You don't want Leeds. You don't want West Ham. You don't want um, Everton. I mean, they're a massive club. Everton's a massive club, all right? And you, you don't want to give Everton a chance mm. of, of, of getting into the Champions League. You know, it, 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 it doesn't make sense. It's kind of an absolute squirt of vinegar in the eye of all supporters that have watched their teams over the last 130, 40 years. Mm. You know, that's been our way. You know, you don't, don't come over and change that way because it just won't sit well with anybody. You know, football's going through a period anyway, has been for the last 20 years, where supporters are getting a bit cheesed off with the amount of money. You know, and, and I don't blame any player, Benji, for signing contracts that are worth an awful amount of money. It's not your fault. It's the fault of the people running the game. It's the fault of agents that know exactly what they can get out of an owner because that's what they've got coming in. And they push them to the limits in terms of, okay, my player won't join you unless you give him this. There's plenty of clubs want him. All right. But there comes a point when, why can't we, why can't, I, I don't like salary caps. I think League One's proving it doesn't work, certainly down in League One. It doesn't work. But why can't we distri distribute the money a little bit fairer? You know, why can't we look into that side of things? You know, it's not a Premier League club's uh, responsibility to bail out championship and League One and League Two clubs, but there must be a system where we can distribute the money a little bit fairer. Mm. It has to be. Mm. Um, but that's, that's for another topic. That's for another day. You know, this particular one is, I'm so pleased. Let's, let's just wrap this one up with, and I think we're all in agreement. You, 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 you be, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that would come on to an interview, a podcast, and go, I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> you, you know, you'd be hard-pressed, wouldn't you? I mean, let's be honest. I think the only people that will want to do that are people trying to make a name for themselves mm -hmm. in the journalistic world, just trying to be controversial. Because I don't think anybody wants to see six clubs, of which two of them have got no... I, just, <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know how Tottenham and Arsenal were thrown in with Man City, Man United, Chelsea and Liverpool, if I'm honest. You know, but it, it, they were, and, and they jumped at the greed. And I, I don't think... I'll I tell you what I will say. I don't think I'm in agreement that they should all be punished because I don't think it was the team itself. It was beyond the team, wasn't it? It was, it was owners that are very naive, thought they could pull this off financially and they were very naive about what they were getting into. And I don't see why Jurgen Klopp and his team should be punished. I don't see why Pep Guardiola and his team should be punished for an owner that's been hoodwinked into a billion pound deal or whatever, you know, which, which on paper probably sounds great, but in reality was a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful thing to get involved in. But I'm, I'm not sure how much I want to see the teams punished, even though I'm absolutely gutted that they thought they could take six teams into a competition that was closed off. You know, mm. I, I'm not sure punishing them. You know, Gary Neville said, dock and points, bottom of league. You know, I'm not sure what you're going to achieve by that. Because that, you know, that yeah. then also punishes the fans who rightly fought back for their clubs and, and to try to, you know, Chelsea fans lining the streets yesterday outside Stamford Bridge to protest against essentially a decision that their own club made. And the fans, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, 
it is you could potentially look at it as a double standard because we've seen clubs like Wigan last year get docked and the fans are the ones who who hurt because of decisions that their owners made and I do think it's it could be looked at as a little bit of a double standard to now let the big teams get off but at the same time I don't think it's fair as you said to punish the fans and punish the punish the manager punish the players for a decision that their owners made without their without really their uh, without even yeah. talking to them yeah so if if there was a consultation between manager players and 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 hierarchy the ownership mm. and they still come to the decision to join I get it but when every manager comes out and goes dreadful idea and there's been no consultation you start to think how can we punish the owner on his own well you, you can't really mm. how can you if you punish the owner you're punishing the club but look that's not for us to sort out I just I just don't see where you, what you get out of punishing our those six clubs by making the points deduction and they're fighting in relegation you know three of them can go down three will stay up it'll be you know the the, the biggest three that probably stay in the league. It's just yeah, it's, it's just an absolute mess, isn't it? And I think yeah. we can wrap it up by saying what a monumental mistake it was to to even have the audacity to think you could pull that off. You know, yeah. I, I, I just they underestimated the size of the English game and its fan base across the country, didn't they? That's simple as yeah. that. Yeah, no, they definitely did. And I, I just have a couple more sort of little notes I wanted to touch on about this um, before we move on. But I think, you know, I'm not naive. I know that the game has largely, in a lot of ways, turned into a, a battle of money, you know, and who has the most money. And the owners and those in charge, they want us to believe that. They're trying to push that idea. They want us to believe that how good you are is determined by how much money you have. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, that has been true. But it isn't a fact. It's not a fact. Liverpool are in sixth this season. Tottenham are in seventh. Arsenal are in ninth. These teams have more money than the teams that are above them. And they're trying to tell us that as a fact, the team that has the most money is the best team. And essentially, they were trying to take the romance out of the game and trying to make it a situation where a team can't build into a big team and can't they, – they just have to stay in whatever – in whatever period they are and that's that's not fair i mean if you look if the super league was created 25 years ago chelsea wouldn't have been in it if it was created even a decade ago spurs wouldn't have been in it these teams happen to be the biggest at this moment or they happen to be the richest at this moment it's not fair to 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 give them an advantage just because they have the most money and i will say sort of a a final kind of comment on this before we move on is that We've seen this week, and we've seen in the biggest way I can really remember the power that football fans have when they come together as one group. But the key thing for me is that football was broken before this. Football was broken before the Super League idea was pushed out and these teams tried to break away. Football's been broken for a long time, and money has dictated too much of the game. And these owners who don't care about the clubs – don't care or don't care about the fans of the clubs at least they care about the club's bank balance and they don't care about the sport they've made that clear they have far too much power and now as a collective we have to keep this energy and we have to keep this momentum and we have to try to turn the sport back into a version that is for the fans i mean ticket prices i would start right there it's unacceptable that fans are being asked to pay 60 pounds for one ticket to go to see their team to see the team that they've spent their lives supporting it's just not fair i mean discrimination, racism, and, and sexism in football. I mean, these things have to be tackled with the same energy. Funding for women's football. This is now a time where we've seen the um, impact and we've seen the effect that fans can have on the game. And it's time to keep that and it's time to push that further because 
I don't, I don't want to see John Henry running football anymore. I don't want to see the Glazers running football. I don't want to see Roman Abramovich. These people don't care about the sport as much as a fan of Charlton cares, a fan of Chelsea cares, the people who rocked up at that protest. And I'm tired of these people being the ones who have control over a sport that they just don't care about. Yeah, I mean, that's an extremely sort of passionate <laughs> you know, it is Benji because I'm. I, I'm saying this last night. I I don't get very passionate. I don't. You know, I'm not. I'm not a fans fan, right? Mm-hmm. So I support Liverpool, but not how I know the supporters that support Charlton support Charlton, right? And I have played for Charlton. I hold Charlton very close to my heart. But I watched the game last night. They're brilliant. We win six 0 But I'm still not a person that will elevate my voice and get really, really excited. I'm just really pleased that the team have done that because I know what that feels like to be in a team that's winning on a run um, and, and, and it scores six goals, doesn't let one in. That's So my brain's going, that is brilliant. I'm so pleased for the manager, the staff, the team, the fans can get behind them because it, you know when it's in unison, it is just unbelievable to be a part of. But I'm not a fan in as much as I can get really, really passionate. Just like I can't pick up my phone and tweet something in anger or in passion. I can't do it. I just don't have the capacity to do it. And I love people that can. I work with people that can. You know, Terry and Greg are very passionate fans. And I love it. I love seeing them fist pump the air where we go 2-0 up. I love seeing them almost hug each other. I mean, you go back to the playoff final when that, when that winner went in you know I couldn't replicate that because it wouldn't I mean it means that much to me but my body won't let me express that right so I love the fact that people get that passionate and that's why we have that's why football is like it is in this country because our fans by and large are extremely passionate I will say this Benji you criticised all those owners they do pump in a lot of money to bring good players to this country mm-hmm. and they try and get those teams to entertain us. I've enjoyed watching Liverpool over the last 24 months win the Premier League for the first time since the Premier League started. They have won the league many, many times before that. Um, football existed before the Sky came in and started the Premier League, but that's the first time they've won the Premier League. So there's a balance to be had. What you don't want is them controlling the game because they're the biggest hitters. The ones that you mentioned, the six clubs, they're not the biggest clubs, but they do have, as far as I can see, working out on the list, the biggest stadium. Mm. All six of them have the 60,000 seaters, you know, Arsenal 60,000, Tottenham 60,000. Chelsea's is lower, isn't it? Mm. But they're going to do some work. Abramovich would have just put us 20,000 on top of what he's got, wouldn't he, overnight? Because he can, right? You know, and Man United, Man City, they're, they're the biggest stadiums. Right, and they do generate the biggest money, but they're still not holding the top six positions, which is the point mm-hmm. you're making, right? And if you take away that, if you take away the romance of a Villa, you know what Dean Smith's done at Aston Villa, and they have spent money, Benji. Their owner has backed him, and they have spent money. to watch him turn that into 99 for a really terrible hot dog and a drink you know why can't we sort 
the food out at, at, at these places? Why, do, why does it cost 10 quid to have a soggy bun and a hot dog with no onions in it? The ketchup's all gone after about 10 minutes. No one replaces it. The tea's not strong enough. All that sort of stuff where the fan is just sort of like, yeah, they'll pay it anyway. They'll pay it anyway because it's a day out from them. They're bringing their kids. They'll buy the program. They'll buy that dodgy food. They'll have, they'll have a pasty with no meat in it. <laughs> you can buy into a pasty, it's just dinner, you know, because they'll get away with it. That's where I think clubs need to take more care. They need to take more care of the fans that are traveling with their kids, make it a better experience. We've, I think we've gotten away with taking the mickey too much by trying to make too much money out of, of the kiosks, too much money out of the program. They get so much money now from the TV revenues that I think they can, you, you know, um, it's not as expensive to go. I think that can be addressed without any shadow of a doubt. But the one criticism I think keeps coming up time and time and time again when we go through periods like this is the governing bodies just don't act quick enough. They simply don't. They sit on their hands. They wait and see what's said. They wait for the reactions. And then they pretend they're dealing with it. And, and I can use racism as, a, as, as a, an example here. I've been a player. And we've gone through a cycle of kick-out racism. We've gone through a cycle of wearing the shirt, taking our shirts off just before kick-off, throwing that into a supporter. It gets your attention, but then we don't deal with it properly. And there's a cycle of 10 years, something happens, it kicks off again, and then it all erupts again. Because you haven't dealt with it properly the last time. And you didn't deal with it properly the time before that. And you don't deal with ticket prices properly when it rears its ugly head 15 years ago. You pretend you're going to, but you don't. And then you see things like probably, I, I dread to think what Mourinho's just been paid off, probably 25 million quid, him <laughs> and his staff. You know, a manager that's come in, lasted 18 months, and he's probably going to get 25 million to swell his bank balance. And, I, and you look at that, and then you look at, the, you know, that probably means the Tottenham ticket's going to go up another five quid a week, you know, five quid a game next year for all the fans, because they've got to pay him off, more debt. So there's a real problem and an issue with the balance of things within football. And it's been there for a long, long time. Mm. And the governing bodies, the more you listen to the issues in football, the more you think, how are these governing bodies getting away with just sitting on their hands so much? But they do, you know, and hopefully that can change, uh, you know, moving forward. Hopefully they can get people that react better, quicker, you know, can we have more diversity? You know, in terms of who's on those boards, can we have people that actually act rather than say, rather than come out and politically give you the answer that keeps everybody quiet? Why don't you actually act and do something? You know, and, and like I said, I've used racism as an example because I've seen three, three cycles of that. And it is better than what it was in the 80s, but it's not anywhere near where it should be 30 years down the line. We've had 30 years to tidy up and uh, make the movements. And we're not where we should be when. Everybody accepts it's, you know, that we're not good enough at, at tidying all that up. We're not good enough at making sure that people are ejected. They don't get season tickets. Not only do they not, their family shouldn't. You know, the bigger consequences generally put people, you know, off doing things. Um, and there just aren't enough punishments. And, and we just don't get on top of it well enough. We, we, we play at lip service is what we do, Benji. We pay a lot of things lip service to keep everybody just under the surface of bubbling over into anger. And then we let it die down until it becomes, uh, comes above the surface again. And then we calm it all down again. And actually we need to do better. 
mm. and sorting out all those issues. Mm. And I would, I would hope that this is a little bit of a, of a catalyst for, for, for more movement going forward for all those sorts of issues, because there's, there's no real, I guess, excuse from, from the collective football world now, because we've seen in the last day how much power fans as a whole actually hold and how much they actually have and how much they can actually impact the game. So once we've seen it, we know it can happen again. I think there's no real excuse for it not to continue happening. And let's, you know, let, let, let's use this and be excited. Let's, let's change the game in the ways that we know it needs to be changed. And I, I hope that this is the start. One sort of final note I'll say is that I did get a little kick out of how um, these, these mega billionaires who have made so much money through business and obviously think they run the world, how they put together this, this, this Super League plan over a matter of years and they implemented it so shockingly badly yeah. that it was destroyed yeah. within two days. I mean, how incompetent can you be for, for that to happen? And I, I, that, that I found a little bit funny for these, these guys. I mean, I watched uh, John Henry's apology to the Liverpool supporters this morning and I, I found it pretty funny how he had to essentially grovel for, for his horrible mistake. Well, as we've been sitting here, the Glazers have just announced their apology um which which shows you how monumentally poor mm. their decisions were to go to try and push this through that they've not only backtracked and pulled out but they are making groveling apologies um because they now know that they've overstepped the mark so far that people want them removed as owners mm. uh, so it it's an incredible backtrack i'm pleased it's happened um but I do think on the other side of it, when I think you have to look at their setup as well, Benji. Mm. You can't just keep asking, you can't keep expanding things and putting more games in when every manager in the country is telling you, we just don't have the capacity to squeeze more games in. You might have to, th you know, why should, why should the domestic game and the cup competition, why should the domestic cup competitions suffer because you have to want another 10 games? Mm. You, you know, so we're being a bit hypocritical, aren't we? We're saying the Super League's dreadful, but then, and UEFA are going, ban it, stop it, and we have. But then they want to add another 10 games on, and the Premier League clubs are going to go, our squads can't cope with that, so we're going to have to pull out of the League Cup. Well, mm -hmm. why should the League Cup suffer? Why should, say, I know I, I, I think of a club in it, why should Leighton Orient suffer? They had a game against Tottenham this year that was they lost to COVID, right? And that money would have generated from that one cup competition in that league cup competition would have helped them for at least mm. the next 12 months, if not beyond. They would have made a small fortune from that, right? So why should that domestic cup competition suffer? Because you wait for one another 10 games and the Premier League clubs are going to get to a point where they go, we just can't enter that. We can't take the amount of games you're chucking at us. So for a very limited number of clubs, it's, you know, they're, they're stretching themselves so much. Mm. So, you know, we're being a little bit hypocritical. You know, UEFA need to look into what they're doing. Absolutely. And they're trying to maximise their competition financially. Mm. And they're not looking at player welfare or domestic competitions in, in, in you know, the countries across Europe. Mm. You know, so they need to have a little look and check up as well. Absolutely. You know, even though they, you know, even though they haven't closed off the competition like the Super League wanted to do, they've got to have a little look at themselves as well. I, in I my opinion, it's, and it's just an opinion. It's a humble opinion. It, it's not, uh, you know, I'm not saying for one moment it's absolutely right what I'm saying, or, you know, and people all have their own opinions, Benji. That's what makes 
podcasts and journalism and being a fan what it is. We can all have a different slant and a different perspective and we can all be a little bit right and we can all be a little bit wrong, you know. But it is a perspective that I look at and think, you know, you keep expanding UEFA Cups, you keep adding more teams into it, you keep adding more games, stages. Where is it going to end? Because mm-hmm. you, what you're doing is you're, you're making the, our domestic teams focus more on that cup competition than you are on our domestic games, which is affecting mm-hmm. the quality within our country. Yeah. You know, so just... That needs to, 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 to have a little look at that as well, in, in my I, opinion. I would argue that UEFA don't actually need to take a little look. I would say they need to take a huge, massive, full look at their entire operation because, you know, they, they tried to paint themselves as the good guy in this situation. And on this specific issue of the Super League, they were on the right side of opposing it. But their reasons for that aren't pure. It's not because they want to protect the sanctity of the game. It's because UEFA want to protect their own, their own finances and their own competitions. And I think UEFA have done an appalling job in a lot of respects. I mean, the one being I mean, they're, they're trying to push through a new Champions League format that is not quite as bad as the Super League, but certainly not good. They, they yeah. haven't handled racism at all, for example. I mean, just to bring that up as another example, they haven't handled so many different issues all across the continent. And they fostered this, this I guess, relationship with football where the owners believe that they have this much power and where the owners believe that it is money that dictates the game. And UEFA have just sat there and allowed that to happen and they haven't done anything. And now, you know, if you want us, you want people to take UEFA seriously, if you want people to believe in them as a governing body, it's time for them to step up and actually fix the, the very real problems with their own system that, that they just have ignored for, for, for decades now. So I, I definitely agree with you there that, um, that UEFA have a lot of internal work. And I think, you know, this, uh, I was just saying we haven't even we haven't even opened up the can of worms that's uh, FIFA. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and the and the World Cup in Qatar and Absolutely. all the atrocities that are going on building those stadiums in that country. Yes. You know we haven't even got into that yet. You know, and 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 you can start to see why football. Everyone's sort of going. I'm, I'm you know fed up with hearing about all the things that are, the corruptness and. Anyway, you, 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 so like I said, this isn't my area of expertise. I don't often, Benji, if I'm honest, get drawn into these conversations because I read bits, but mm. my knowledge of it isn't good enough to be able to sustain an argument or sustain creditable points. But I, I think I've got enough in the locker to say that's wrong, you know. Mm. And 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 you know, I, I was specifically talking about what you've just addressed there that 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 you a for trying to expand the competition. And I find that a little bit hypocritical. Although it's an open competition, you're, you're not thinking about all the European leagues here. You're just thinking about how much money you can generate. So you've got to, it's a little bit hypocritical for me, but in a slightly different way. I, I think there's been, I mean, I think something that has come out from all this, and I hope that football as a whole kind of goes through an audit because something that's come out from this is hypocriticalness across pretty much all levels. I mean, Sky Sports, for example, I, I, I watch Sky Sports like pretty much everyone in this country. I, in, in, in theory, believe in what Sky Sports does. But, I mean, them speaking out against the Super League, I'm not going to believe that that was entirely for the good of the game. That also had its selfish, its, its selfish needs where they were trying to protect their own cash cow. I mean, and the prices that Sky Sports and BT charge regular fans to watch their team on the television, that's not acceptable either. So I think a lot of levels of hypocritical well, have come across with this, and I hope that football takes a look at itself. Well, on, on that, I'd be absolutely gobsmacked if there aren't conversations, Benji, between the 
the 20 Premier League clubs about when the TV deal runs out, that every club runs its own streaming service or the Premier League run runs the streaming, streaming service. And that goes out globally and distributed between the 20 clubs in the Premier League. And then what does Sky do then? What do BT do then? Because they'll have no monopoly on any of it because they've got no TV deal. Mm. They've got no rights. You know, me and you can pitch up. We can pay our £20 a month to the Premier League and watch any Premier League game. I can watch Liverpool one week. I can watch Crystal Palace the next. I can watch Burnley the next if I want to. It's my choice. I'm paying £20 a month to the Premier League. That's global. That's going to be across the world. Mm. So I've, I've got a funny feeling in years to come Sky's next offer is going to have to be absolutely ridiculous. Otherwise, I don't know why the Premier League wouldn't go to its own streaming service. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know why they wouldn't do that either. The, um, I know we've, we've said a few times now that this is going to be the last point on this and then we're going to move on. But I do want to, have, <laughs> I do want to give one more point, which is just the – I don't quite have the right word for it, but the, this, this awful, awful attempt to push through the Super League while fans can't go into stadiums, while there's a global pandemic, it's just so intentional from these big clubs because they know that fans can't be in stadiums to protest. I mean, it turns out they were wrong because fans still took to the streets to protest. But the, the sheer audacity and the, the, the almost the villainry, I guess, of trying to push this through during a global pandemic just leaves me with such a, a sick feeling because they know what they were doing. They knew they were trying to do this while they hoped the football world was almost sort of forced to sit on the sidelines. And they tried to do it. They weren't able to, which obviously I'm delighted about. And now let's hope that things can move on in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go on for weeks mm. and weeks, but it will settle down eventually. And the dust will settle and we'll see what happens in terms of how we deal with the six clubs that tried to break mm-hmm. away. You know, that, 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 that'll be interesting to see. You know, I don't, I've, we've gone through this, but, you know, it'll be up to the authorities to decide how they think it's the, the best way to stop anybody trying to do this again. There has to be some kind of punishment, I guess, because you don't want anybody in five years' time to try again. Mm. You know, you want to shut it down at source now. This never happens again. So we'll see as the dust settles and all the mm. apologies come out and all the groveling goes on. But hopefully what you're going to see over the next month or so, I think, in fact, no, it's going to be as early as this weekend. I think Wembley's open this weekend. Mm. You are going to see the gradual introduction of fans again. And hopefully when we see the introduction of fans and we start to see stadiums fill up again, we can get back to a little bit of normality in terms of proper sound within the ground, proper fans turning up to the grounds, making noise. Uh, and, and this sort of stuff disappears into the background and the authorities deal with it in the right manner. You know, that's what we all want to see, Benji. I want, to, I want the season to obviously fin- finish very positively for Charlton, but I can't wait for the start of next season where we're seeing fans back at the grounds and we're commentating on games and you're sitting up on the gantry with a, with a valley that's full. Mm. Or certainly, you know, has a capacity, half capacity, whatever you're allowed by that, that time. Mm. You know, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to in terms of, you know, football without atmospheres actually has turned out to be quite rubbish. Oh, it <laughs> really has. Honest. Yeah. And, and, and that needs to, to come back as quickly as we can generate that that those atmospheres at football games because you don't realise it. We took it for granted, uh, all of us, uh, and we didn't realise how important we realised how important fans were. 
but I don't think we realised how important atmospheres were to games themselves. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that's something I take out of the last 18 months is that when you go to a game and you haven't got that little bit of banter between the away fans and the home fans, you haven't got the home fans moaning when a pass goes astray, you haven't got them shouting at the referee when he messes up. All those things make a big difference. And when your team's flying, and like if we have a result like last night, can you imagine the away fans on the train home last night after a 6 0 win seeing their team going to the playoffs? Trains are buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And we need that back. That's what we need to come back. Absolutely. And I mean, it just, if there's one thing we've learned over the past year, and if there's one thing we've learned over the past two days, it's just that the sport is is really pretty uninteresting without fans and it's just not the same without fans and it'll be they need to be at the center of the game and hopefully that is the case moving forward but before we wrap up we should probably take a couple of listener questions um so firstly from jack barber on twitter he asked what we feel Nigel Atkins' best Charlton 11 is. And while I don't know if we'll have time to sort of pick a full 11, what I wanted to kind of talk about this is that it feels like for the first time really this season, Adkins or, or Charlton in general have a group of players, maybe it's 12, 13, 14, 15 players, that no matter which ones you pick, they're not going to let you down. I mean, you look at in the centre-back roles, you've got three centre-backs at least with Pierce, Famwon, Innes, and I'd feel very confident trotting any of those three out. At the full-backs, you've got, you've got obviously Matthews and Gunter who can play at right-back. You've got Connor Washington and Chuck Sanike, who you still have to add to the attack along with the two wingers and the striker. So I do think it's probably the hardest point yet to pick one specific Charlton 11. And I think that's just a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, what I'd say to Jack is that his 11 will be different to your 11, Benji, and your, both your 11s will be different to mine. The only 11 that matters is, is Nigel's. And Nigel, I think, will use the squad... Um, I think he'll rotate players. I don't think he'll have a strongest 11 as you recognise the strongest 11. I think what he'll do is, I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of said Stockley's his number one striker. He's kind of played his hand there. But what, what, what people have to understand and recognise is there's not just the strongest 11 here in terms of playing ability. There's loan signings that he knows are going back. There's players that are out of contract that he knows have an eye on moving somewhere else. So even if you think there's a player that's better, say, at, just for argument's sake, right, at centre midfield, what Nigel has to weigh in is, is he going to be here next year? Is he going to put his heart and soul into that 50-50 next week? Is he going to win me? Is he going to make that block on the goal line where he knows he's going to collide with the goalpost? You know, if you're talking about a defender. So he's got ulterior motives to picking players at the moment. Mm. So it's a very difficult one to answer in terms of, in terms of, um, we can certainly pick our strongest 11, what we like, because <laughs> it makes no difference to us. <laughs> but Nigel's 11, he's, he's, he's got to make choices that are beneficial for everyone in the long run. Mm. And whilst also making his team as strong as he possibly can. Um, and I think he's done that. I think he's found an incredible balance really, really quickly. I think there'll be some interesting... Um, moves moving forward in terms of now what, what's coming back to the squad on Saturday. My understanding is Washington, like you said, Martson will be fit. Who was the other player? There was another player. There's three of them coming back. Martson, Washington and Innes. Innes, of course. Blimey, how could we forget that one? <laughs> so, you know, um, in that respect, he's now got choices to make. I agree with you. Of the three centre-halves, 
I mean, Pierce for me is the best talker, the best communicator, right? So it's Pierce and one other at the moment. If Pierce says, "Can I have a rest, Gaffer?" You'd be comfortable playing the other two centre halves, wouldn't you? They're both capable. I think that's a great trio to have available. The goalkeeper is strong at the moment. In terms of how the results have gone, Benji, you can't really argue against the eleven that are starting at the moment because they're so strong. But there will be games. I said to you about Ipswich on Saturday. I thought that needed a Washington. We needed to stretch their back four. We needed to move them about a bit more, uh, and we couldn't. Chucks wasn't on the bench. You know, he didn't bring on. Um, oh, sorry, my mind's gone blank. But uh, oh, Ronnie. the lad that's not playing at all. Schwartz, Jesus, I absolutely had a blank there. You he have didn't a bring long on day. It's okay. I have. Do you know what, Benji? I've got up this morning. I've come back from Plymouth. I, I had, I had a cup of coffee before I sat down with you. That's how long I was in. So it's been a long day, and uh, and I've been talking football all the way back from Plymouth. Honestly, Terry and Ollie and Georgia was in the car with. I couldn't shut them up. Benji. <laughs> Honestly, for the talking. Um, but yeah, no, so Ronnie Schwartz didn't even make the pitch. So, you know, Ronnie, you know, that's a note we haven't even addressed that. But Ronnie's obviously suffering at the moment, can't even get a minute on the pitch. And, you know, Connor's coming back, so he's going to be even further away from the team. You know, that's a, that's a sad situation, that one, actually. You know, it's uh, something that they've got to get through. But um, yeah, I, I, what I would say to you is the amount of games that you have, We've now got to start factoring the playoffs. As we nick another point or another three, we've got to start factoring the playoff games, the semi-final and the final. And you've got to start looking after players as well. That was the beauty of Tuesday night, mm. or last night, sorry. We got ourselves in such a great position. He could, he could rest Forster Caskey. He's been playing every minute of every game and working his socks off in every game. He could rest Stockley. You know, uh, Ben Watson started. Pratt had a rest. You know, Innes had a rest. You know, so I think that's what you're going to find. You're going to find that, you know, that the 11 will rotate, you know, when he can. And, and what he's done is he's, he's put together, as I said before, a strong spine. And that spine looks very strong at the moment, which is a, a, a blessing, obviously. But um, if you've got capable players who can come in, like you said, Gunter comes on for Matthews, you know, it's not pretty equal. You know, those two, uh, you know, one week it'll be Gunter, one week it'll be Matthews. But Matthews is playing out of his skin at the moment. Mm. But yeah, good competition for places, which is the big plus. But I think the 11 that he's picked at the moment is a strong 11. And I think some are going to have to work hard on others to get into that 11. Does he bring Martson back? I can't see how he can with the performance last night. How can he bring Martson back when you've got Miller and Jayasimi working like that together? Mm. You know, so... Um, but then some might argue, well, you know, Martin's done all right when he's gone up into that front right position, offers a threat, quick, chucks inside, scored the other week. Yeah, it's all good news, Benji. It's all good news. But in terms of in terms of picking eleven, I think the eleven he had out last night was pretty strong. Um, and I think I think for every Charlton fan that listens to this, you know, it's all good news, isn't it? Because you've mm. you've got a strong eleven. I think last night you got. You've got some strong players to come back, Washington and Ennis particularly. Martin's in there. So, that, yeah, it, it, it's what we're building for the future, I think, more than the strongest 11 is how I'd answer that, Benji. It's about going into next season. I know that's difficult because although a month ago we were talking about we'll be League One next year, so let's start you know, looking at players for League One. Now you're starting to go, oh, OK, <laughs> oh, that championship dream's still alive. You know, and, 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 and actually, the thing, I think the important thing is that 
you start looking at the core of the squad for, for next season, whether that's Championship or League One. And that's the important thing, not the strongest 11 right now. I think that will change over the, uh, over the course of the last five, six games and the playoffs. But I think next year is the important thing. You know, who are we signing? Who are we looking at? How, who can we get on board that you want this year, that you want to stay next year? Because we've had this conversation where a month, two months ago, we were like, oh, you know, who does he keep on for next year? You know, there's some in form, some out of form. Well, now they're all sort of bang in form. You know, they've all shown him what they can do. So now it's, it's a lot harder for him making decisions on who he's going to keep next year. Mm. I'll be interested to see how that unfolds as it goes over the next sort of four, six, eight weeks. It, it really will be. And I, and I know you've spoken in previous podcasts that we've done, you've spoken about how you feel the best teams and the best clubs, they don't actually have a best 11. They have a best no. 13, 14, 15. 15 and I do think yeah. for the first time kind of this whole season, Charlton are kind of close to that, which is obviously, as you said, it's all good news for supporters. It yeah. just means more good options to come and with the players coming back. And, and we'll all have a different, and we'll all have a different slant on that because yeah. we all like different things in different positions. Absolutely. And the only one that does count is Nigel, and actually oh. Nigel will utilise what he's got, and 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 the fact that he's got more strength in depth mm. is an absolute blessing. We didn't have that three months ago. We were on, we were bare bones, and we were asking players to play when they needed a rest. You know that's why we got the inconsistency. Now you've got players with confidence. We've got players coming, but it's, it's, it's weird, isn't it? That when you, when you suddenly find a few results, everybody's fit and available again because they look at the side going, I want a bit of that. And they come back a little bit, you know, quicker than maybe they would if you were losing every week. It's just how it is within mm. a sport. You know, confidence and, and morale does a uh, boost things incredibly across mm. all platforms. Uh, you know, even the media guys, you know, the media guys feel it. We feel it. You know, the fans feel it. Players love it. Mm. It, it affects everything within the with the structure of the football club. But you know, uh, lots of decisions coming up over the next eight weeks, going into the summer. Who to keep? Who to let go? What division we could be in potentially? That's gonna you're gonna have to have half an eye on that now. Now we're sat in sick, you know, and the form we're in. If if it's suddenly if you tick off Peterborough, Benji, and you you beat Crew and Acton, you you take care of. Suddenly you've got to start thinking. Right, we might have to start looking at recruiting for the championship and having two or three times. They might be doing that now, to be fair. They might be having a little list. Yeah, they might have two different lists, yeah. Which probably wasn't the case six, eight weeks ago. <laughs> no, no, it certainly wasn't. But um, before we wrap up, we'll, we'll do a This Week in Brownie's Career because we have to do a This Week in Brownie's Career. Um, talking about momentum, you know, it, it, it can strike both positively and negatively momentum. It's, it's something that isn't just there when you're doing well. It's something that's also there when you're doing poorly. But I've got a bit of a disappointing This Week in Brownie's Career to bring That's up. all right. There was, there was many of them, Benji. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this week in, um, I believe it was the 1999-2000 season. I, I don't know why I didn't write down the actual season that it was. That yeah, was we got, we got, well, we got relegated. Okay, yeah, so it's the right, so it's the right season. But in this week, you lost four-one to Spurs and then four-one to Everton. So. Yeah, I was probably on the bench again, Benji. So you know, I'm going to sidestep. I'm going to sidestep why we lost four one. I mean, I didn't. I don't remember ever being in back to back four one losses. Not not when I was playing. Uh, yeah, look, I mean that year. Listen, Benji, it's a bit like watching Fulham this year. 
So that's what we were the first time we went up. We were short on numbers. We were short financially. We got up through the playoffs, so we had very little time to recruit as a football club. Uh, when we did try and recruit, the prices were elevated because we'd just become a Premier League mm-hmm. side. Uh, Curbs had to rush some of the signings, no doubt. He'll tell you better than me. He was in the position I wasn't. But we went into that season very much hoping to stay in the league. And that was finishing 17th. That was our aim. Um, And then build from there. But we couldn't quite do it. We weren't quite ready. If I'm honest with you, I don't think we were quite ready. But what we did do extremely well, despite the 4-1 losses that you're talking about, we hung in there right till the death and only went down on the last game. But what the club did very, very well was that summer, nobody left. That was the important bit. Nobody left and we added quality so that when we won the championship and went up the next time, not only did he have a squad of players that were another year worth of experience, we'd experienced a year in the Premier League. We then stayed together for another year in the championship, which was a hard year. We won that league. Momentum was with us. We added quality over the summer and then we went up the next time. We comfortably stayed in the league. Mm. And that was the beauty of being at the club at that time. It, it just Players didn't want to leave. It's unheard of now for a club to get relegated and no one lives. And that's why we were able to progress the way we did. And then we added that little bit of quality over the summer that, 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 that allowed us to compete with mid-table teams. And in, 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 some, in, in, in some aspects, uh, top six sides. We competed against quite a few of the top six sides that, that, that second year we were up. It's but yeah, no. Don't remember the two four ones, Benji. Don't remember them at all. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, um, uh, that that you were able to compete because I do actually have a bonus a bonus this week in Brownie's career, just to end on a happier note. Because um, this week in 2001, Charlton beat Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge 1-0. Curbs called it the best away performance of the season. Unfortunately, I think you may have been on the bench again. Again, yeah, yeah. I um. Yeah, listen, I was involved in many of the results that we got and I was lucky enough to play in some of the good wins. But but there were other times, I mean, Benji was fiercely competitive. Mm-hmm. You talk about picking the best 11 now. There was five centre-halves when I was there. You know, pick your bones out of that, of which one space was normally always Richards. So basically one space between the four of us. Incredibly difficult. What gave me an edge over the others was if I didn't get selected to start, my versatility meant I was almost certainly on the bench, mm. right? The other three weren't involved at all, you know? So in that respect, you know, I make fun of myself because I did seem to sit on the bench an awful lot. But even to get on the bench, you know, with 25, 30 players, you know, of where five centre-halves are competing for two spots and realistically four for one, you know, it was tough to get games. Mm. And, you know, you know I, I'd argue... You make a decision at that point in your career. Do you want to be one of those guys competing, getting a game here and there and then on the bench? Or do you want to go back down to the championship to play every week? I was happy being that guy. I was happy competing for that place. I was happy to come out and sit on the bench. I got on very well with Curbs, still do. You know, we go backwards and forwards having a bit of a giggle on the commentaries. He has a dig at me, I have a dig at him. But actually got more respect for him than anybody else in football I know. He's, he was a top, top manager for me. No reason to leave the environment I was in. I loved the supporters. They took to me. I think because of the style of the way I played, I gave everything. I got on very well with Curbs and Keith and any other member of staff that was in the building. And 
it suited me where I lived. I loved mm. traveling to the valley and, and, and the training ground and coming home every day. And, and I, was, I was happily forfeiting being the guy that played 10 came out for five. I was happy to be that guy. I mean, I could have gone off somewhere else and played more. It would have probably meant going back down into the championship. But I, like I said, I, I don't look back and have any regrets about that at all. I thoroughly enjoyed how my career went. Um, I was looking after a particularly poor knee injury. I've got to be honest, that, that would have had some effect. But no, I've got no complaints, Benji, no complaints at all. And even sitting on the bench watching my teammates go and beat Chelsea 1-0 would have been an absolute pleasure. Mm, absolutely. Well, that seems as good a place to wrap it up as any. This has been a, a bit of a longer episode than normal, but there was a lot, a lot, a lot to discuss. And I'm, I'm glad we did in the depth that did it justice. Obviously, that win and then the Super League, it's been a bit of a dramatic week. But thank you all, Charlton fans, everyone who's listened to this, everyone who subscribed, commented throwing in a question. Unfortunately, we couldn't get to too many this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week for another episode. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. This has been Brownie and Benji, brought to you by Benji and Brownie. Thanks again. Till next time. Take care, everyone.